Uh, we move from one expert talk to another now as we welcome NASA's own Ed Hoffman to deliver a talk on defining a learning culture. He'll go, give us an insight into the, how he and the world's best organisations share knowledge and learn faster and in turn create an environment of excellence that will help develop uh, their talent and spread success. So please welcome Ed to the stage. So I'm probably going to disappoint few of you have heard all these wonderful things about coming from NASA, and I've heard people talk about brilliant people and smart people, and I'm going to tell you about some of our dumbest mistakes. Uh, because one of the challenges of being a learning organization and being successful and performance-driven is that if you believe too much that you're great and you're smart and you have a great history, you get very comfortable, you believe that stuff, and you, you fail. And I tell that to the NASA people, the young professionals every day. You know, we have people who join NASA. You know, their parents, their mothers, their fathers tell them how great they are. Well, mostly their mothers. Uh, they go to school, they, they hear how great they are. They get to NASA. You look at the walls in NASA, in any NASA building, what do we have on our walls? We have pictures, pictures of Apollo, pictures of Mars landings, pictures of Neil Armstrong. We don't have any pictures of satellites falling down or built. And so you get this sense, and I've had people tell me they're thrilled to be here, they're excited, but they get scared. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I went to Columbia University, started in 1981. I was doing research into leadership, competencies of the effective leaders. I happened to hit the jackpot of luck in that in 1983, NASA had obviously long closed down the Apollo program. They were starting up the space shuttle program. They decided they needed to start developing leaders. Up to then, it was trial and error. Up to then, it was kind of a notion that you became a leader because the hand of God touched certain people. And if you were one of those chosen, you were a leader. And you couldn't learn it. I had people when I first got there, you can't learn this stuff. Why are you training this stuff? But in 1983, we started that. I was asked to do an internship. And it's all been focused. My 33 years at NASA has really come down to how do you develop learning, performance, capability, collaboration, use of technologies to ensure that our missions are successful, our programs are projects, and that we're working together effectively towards that end. So when Matt said, we'd like you to talk about your 33 years of experience on learning in 30 minutes, I said, OK, that was that's about right. Uh, so what I'm going to focus on is four broad areas, because I usually get this. I get a, a group from NASA. I just try to be there, particularly for the young professionals. And I try to be there for our managers and leaders, because it's the same message. When I look at successful teams and the organization as a whole, when we're clicking, there's a few things that happens. One is that we're focused on our goal, our mission. We are a mission organization. We have a budget of about 18 billion US dollars. Every penny goes through programs and projects. That is our, our game is the mission. I have hundreds of communities, hundreds of disciplines. I got people who are data analytics people. We got people who are astrophysics you know, scientists. I've got battery engineers and uh, IT engineers, and they're all committed to their communities. And they all believe that their community is the most critical. The one thing that I know guaranteed will bring us all together is the mission. That's our dream. That's our vision. That's the Super Bowl. That's the Stanley Cup. That's what brings us all together. It's easy to forget about that, because we spend most of our time in our communities. So I'll talk about the mission. I'm going to be talking about failure. 
Uh, that is one of the first things I tell a, a person who joins NASA, because you can believe the Kool-Aid. You can believe people telling you how great you are, but you're going to see dumb things. You're going to do dumb things. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be a part of projects that go through what we call mishaps. A mishap is something that went wrong. It didn't go as planned, but it didn't hurt the, the mission. In other words, it didn't cost you perhaps a, a game or a year. And you're also going to be a part probably of failures. If failure is a bad thing, it means that it's, it's visible, it's public. Uh, and how do we talk about it or do we not talk about it? So I talk about failure. Third thing is innovation. You can't learn, in my view, unless you're looking to change things. Innovation, do we support that or do we make that hard to happen? And the fourth thing I talk about, and the young professionals get this, when I ask them, what's the most important thing? I get leadership always asking me, what's the most, if we can do one thing, in terms of effective learning, in terms of knowledge, what should we do? And they're always thinking, they're always cringing because they think I'm going to say something that requires hundreds of thousand dollars or, or a new data set. I say leadership engagement or people engagement. So these are the four things. And I want to do it from the standpoint of sharing some of the stories. So I like to get people to first start thinking about what are we here for? What are we here in terms of NASA? 90% of NASA is industry. 90% of NASA is that 90% of that 18 billion goes to industry. They're from different areas, different backgrounds, different skills. They've got to work together. 80% of every mission we have is an international collaboration, international partnering. And although we are seen and we are largely in engineering and a management organization, the engineers hate this, but everything we do is for science. The scientists love that. They will remind the engineers and managers, you work for me. Well, you know, that's how it, it, and science happens through universities. So it's a strange community. I always joke that it is a party with people you would never invite to a party, because we talk different languages. So the one thing is, what does success look like? What happens? I'm going to ask uh, Sam to play a clip of the Mars Curiosity landing. And I think this gives a sense of what we're shooting for. This is our outcome. This is our victory. As you watch this, what do you think goes into the years of this kind of an outcome? So Sam, if you'll play the videotape. Take a lot you remain strong. Short clip, kind of says it all. So what are the things you saw there? What do you think goes into that? This is the interactive <laughs> portion of my thing. I was told if I asked a question, someone would say something. What did you see? What leads to that? What does that make you think of? Team. Performance for us happens at the team level. You're smiling, it sounds easy. Hey, I, you know, I came here to hear you talk about it. it's the team. But let me tell you why we don't think about that. Most things we gear towards, we gear towards the individual. When I was brought to NASA, I told you in 1983, we spent several years, the whole focus was individual training, individual performance. The belief was that if I had every individual on a team, on a project, who was capable, who was competent, and who had confidence, you'd have success. Guess what? We throw brilliant people together, and they are brilliant people. They're passionate, they're smart, and they fail. What happens? Because sometimes you get really talented people who hate each other. They compete. They don't want to work together. I have that. One of the biggest problems we'll have is with really brilliant people, really talented people. They've been told how they don't want to work with others. 
You can't rig it. Everything is tied to this larger system. You got to watch that thing. So a lot of our development, the, I've been at there 33 years. My first five years, I hate to say were a mistake. I was focused on individual development. You want individual development. Don't, don't walk out of here and saying it doesn't matter. But performance happens how people engage together in the team. I've seen teams that we put together where discipline-wise, the different communities, they were good people, but they were, not, they were known as not being the best in their field because they measure these things, right? But they, they came together as a team, they took care of each other, they watched things, and they performed. I've also seen teams where the best and the most capable in each discipline were pulled together, and it totally collapsed. Performance happens at the team level. By the way, there's a third aspect to this. It's the larger community. It's great that we have a success with Mars Curiosity. Guess what? A project ends. We want NASA to continue. Are we learning from individual projects to the larger community? I get a lot of project folks. They think if they're successful in their project, they don't have to care about the rest of the organization. That leads to different kinds of, uh, of issues that we deal with. But the first thing that I would tell you in terms of learning, in terms of organization, in terms of performance, I got to focus people in terms of the goal, the dream, the vision, and the mission. What are we here for? And by the way, every once in a while, it's not too often, every once in a while I'll get someone and I'll say, are you turned on by what? What are we doing here? Are you turned on by being at NASA? Every once in a while I'll get someone who's not. I'll say, go someplace else. You should go where you're, because you're going to have bad days. You're going to work with people you can't stand. You're going to work for managers that aren't happy with you. You're going to read press reports that basically say you're in it. You're going to have bad day. If you're not loving what you're doing, it, it's going to go away fast. That's one of the things I'll talk to these folks about. So what drives performance and learning? I think they go together. I think a big mistake in my field, so my background is psychology. A lot of folks think I'm an engineer, even NASA people. Thought, okay, you must be an engineer because you, you train engineering, you, you do development around engineering, the project. That's my community. That's what I'm about. But my background is learning, it's psychology, it's how do people work together. And so it's learning and performance. We don't have to prepare expertise in things we're never going to use. That's why I say to the leadership when we're, we're unleashing something, developing a technology or a tool, if we don't see any connection to the mission, to the outcome, to the performance, we have smart people, they're not going to go there. You know, again, they're focused on the mission, they're focused on the Super Bowl, they're focused on the champion. If that helps them, and the beautiful thing about NASA is I work with engineers, scientists, project people, they're very skeptical. And I know I can test things. You talk, Robbie talked about crowdsourcing. If I release an activity, or if I start a new initiative, if an engineer feels it gives them a slight advantage to compete, to improve, they will take it, they'll steal it, they'll use it. If it's neutral or negative, then I'm overhead, they'll ignore it. So I listen to that in terms of what's taking place. So learning has to be linked, in my view, to performance. Let me shift into failure. So again, this is one of the things. Uh, within the first 10 minutes of talking to the young professionals, and they're all excited, they're all, I can always tell a young professional, uh, because they're smi they got smiles on their face. Uh, they're optimistic, they, uh, I, you know, they're honest, they're ideal. Life has not yet smacked them down, which is great. You know, you keep moving forward. But one of the things I tell them immediately is about the dumb things and failures. And when I tell them about some of the things, it'll be the same reaction you have, which is, how did those idiots do that? And then I got to convince them that you will be part of that community, because you're going to see things that don't make sense. You're not going to raise them. 
and then you're gonna have a lot of sleepless nights. NOAA N-Primed is a weather satellite. NASA works with the uh, NOAA people. They looked at sea and, and, and weather. Important United States, because they track kind of hurricanes. So if you have a house on the uh, eastern shore, then you like these missions being successful. If a NOAA weather satellite goes down, people complain to the politicians, and the politicians will beat us up. This is a mission, NOAA N-Primed. It's a, a famous one, infamous one at NASA. This was a, about a $100 million failure. I hate to admit it, because I know you all pay taxes, and so I work for you. And so this is not, a, but we got to be honest about, about failure, mistakes, about what's not going right, because if you don't talk about them, then you get failures. Weather satellite, it was being serviced. It was being repaired on the ground. You know, different instruments, satellites will come down, just like an athlete. Uh, it goes through different kinds of uh, repairs and preparation, all that. It was on the ground. It was on Earth. It gets bolted into a wall so they can work on it. The wrong bolts were used. The wrong bolts were used. Now, now again, it sounds, you know, uh, Three Stooges-ish, but the reality is it's not the straight bolts were used, so there's a, you got to know that. You got to assess it. It's not kind of straightforward like that. Fell down. You see it falling down. That little trip up was about $100 million. That means the next day we all have to read NASA lost in space. By the way, who, anybody from the media here? You can admit it. Or, okay. If you're at NASA, you really hate the lost in space kind of, you know, kind of things because it kind of brings you in all these different directions. So what happened was the folks who were working at Young Engineers, they were working, one of the things we found, too many hours. So you get a fatigue factor, which we should have learned from. They used the wrong bolts, which is fairly complex. Now, in any NASA mission, you sign off. You have reviews, right, in terms of people. The safety group signed off that everything was fine. Then we found out the safety folks didn't go over to the building. When we asked them, why didn't you go into the building, do you, what do you think they told us? They said, who could screw up bolting screws into, well, obviously we can't. The other thing we said is, you know, that's in another building, so we would have had to walk over there, and we would have, I mean, this is, we, this is, we gotta deal with these things. We then found out from the managers, the manager signed off, didn't actually physically go over there and check out. We asked them, why didn't you go over there and check out? Well, you know, we had to go over to a different building. Anyway, the safety folks signed off, so we assume they saw it. And anyway, who could screw up bolting in a, now, you know this. So we, we deliberately tell this to our people, and I tell the young folks, when they come on board, because again, you know, mommy's been telling you you're brilliant. The schools you go to, you're brilliant. Every place you go to, you're brilliant. They're laughing at the idiots who did this. This happens. It's always the little things that happens in the mission that lead to the different things. So we were talking about this, and I said, we got to get our managers talking about this. If we don't talk about failure. By the way, for me, failure happens at three levels. A failure is the end result. A mishap, we get mishaps. You'll sometimes hear about a NASA mishap. A mishap is okay. It means that things did not go as planned, but it doesn't, did not impact our project or program. It, it, it sounds like the same thing as when you win ugly. You have a sports team, you didn't play well, you didn't do any of the things you expected to do, but you, you got the win. Now, if you get comfortable with that, you know eventually someone's going to expose you. That's that. So you want the mishaps being addressed. We've had severe failures because we saw things, we didn't address it. And we want a culture of, let's just be honest about the mistakes. 
So the next thing you'll see is a couple of leaders. We do a thing called Masters with Masters where we talk about different initiatives, crowdsourcing and data analytics, the use of technologies, medical things in terms of our folks. So I'm going to ask Sam to play it. This is one of our senior leaders, Chris Scalise, acted as the NASA administrator, is now the Goddard Center director, honestly talking about how this happened. This is part of a larger discussion. So if you play the tape. I've been on mishap boards before, but the one that I chaired was probably the strangest for me because it, it seemed absolutely trivial. It was NOAA N prime. The spacecraft fell over. The spacecraft fell over because the team didn't put any bolts to hold the spacecraft down. So when they started tipping it, it kept on going. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I mean, what could be simpler to figure out, right? Well, it turned out it wasn't so simple because it was a whole bunch of little things, a whole sequence of things that uh, many organizations, that the, the contractor did, that the government inspectors did, that NASA did, saying, well, this is a good organization. They know what they're doing. They don't have to worry about this. And it all stacked up to the end where it said to the, to the uh, people doing the work, configure the cart appropriately. Okay? And it told the inspectors to make sure that the cart was configured appropriately. Well, okay, now if you put a new team together and a new, new uh, inspector together and you put them on a tight time schedule, how do they know what configured appropriately means? And again, one of the dangers is we always look for individuals. Let's figure out who did it. Okay, who is the project manager? Fire the person. I mean, you know, we get great. It's about a team. You know, you got a safety team, you got a young crew. By the way, in all these stories, you never get the financial budget people in the room, which kind of perks me off. I mean, oftentimes you talk about pressure. You always got to do things faster, cheaper. What is faster, cheaper? How do you get prices down? Well, you do less training, you do less testing, you cut you know, different facilities and support. And so all these pressures play out. It's a team. Performance happens at the team level. Someone saw this, we should have addressed this. Now, one of the things when I walk around the centers and I'll talk to the folks, and again, it's usually the young professionals who really tell me kind of what's going on. One of the things that, that I heard is that it's hard to admit a mistake at NASA. You know, and someone told me, he says, you look at these pictures, you look at the people in the room for meetings, and these are people you idolize. These are people who've done it for a long time. And so you don't want to say you're seeing something different. So how do you deal with that? We have it in our policy. We have it in our communications. We have it in our training, how to deal with these things. And someone who said, uh, look, you know, the executives are always telling us to share our mistakes. Why don't they start? Why don't they tell us their biggest mistake? Now, I thought, okay, I mean, it's a good idea. I didn't think it was great, but I, so we started a thing we called My Best Mistake. To NASA's credit, I got a lot of the senior leaders, experts, people you look up to talking about dumb things that they did. To my surprise, our public loved it. I mean, the folks at NASA loved it. I can tell that because I have young professionals coming and saying, I like that website. We've got a site that's open, km.nasa.gov. It's open to all. So everything I say, by the way, is open. I talk about examples. You can see them on our case studies. You know, people from all around the world use them as examples. And I had people coming up to me saying, I love that thing, particularly the stuff where the executives talk about their big mistakes. Wow, that's great. And then the second thing I started noticing in the measures, I started getting calls from people saying, hey, that's good stuff, by the way, I got a great mistake. You want to publish it. So it's a little thing, 
Sometimes we look for these grand things. It's a little thing that tells to a community, tells people that works together that it's okay to talk about mistakes, mishaps, failures, let's get it right, let's move forward. On a bigger level, two shuttle programs, one a historic failure, one something you haven't heard about, but it was a tremendous success. Let me tell you, over 90% of the people are the same on this team. So why in one case did it go so bad, and the other case it did so well? Most of you have probably heard about the Columbia uh, failure. Columbia, it, it's measured space transportation system 107, 107th planned flight. Foam came off the spacecraft, it hit the, uh, hit the wing. When it came back, it had you know, created a hole and basically the, uh, the transportation system came apart. Now, we had data. You know, data is only as good as human beings decide to address it. We had data for half a dozen missions that foam was coming off. Now, if you feel the foam, it's surprising because it feels very soft. I mean, if I threw it at you and hit it in your head, it wouldn't do anything. But if you do engineering experiments at the speed that something does on a rocket ship, right, you, can, you see where that goes. But we ignored things. When the problem happened, we had engineers. We had engineers in the organization saying, we got a problem. They were shouted down. They were told not to say anything. Uh, we could have gotten assistance from the military. Military takes pictures of things that take place. We had so much arrogance, we didn't ask for assistance to see it. This is what happens when you're not comfortable talking about mistakes, failures, and, and all that. It starts to that. Now, you know, could you have done something? So we didn't do things that go into our values. We always get, we view everything. NASA's current organization is not demonstrated a learning organization. Again, when you get fear, when people see things, they're uncomfortable saying it. When people do say it and people don't want to hear it, when you don't look for the different resources, or when you maximize cost at the expense of performance, you got to have discussions about that. Many years later, I was in the mission room, beautiful place, Kennedy Space Center. We do some of our training programs there. It was a presidential transition. I was asked to be in the room to assess the team dynamics in case something happens. Now, when those shuttle launches, you didn't know. If, if it's a good day, it could be a 20-minute meeting. If, it's, uh, if things aren't going well, you're talking about 16 hours. This was a 16-hour one. They found data from engineering that on a previous uh, shuttle mission, there were problems with the flow valve in terms of one of them flowing. Now, there's a lot of redundancy. There are other flow valves. It didn't have any impact on the shuttle, not, not any impact on performance. So in general, the project team recommended launch. Projects, by the way, are under tremendous pressure, because if you don't launch, you have other risks that you pick up. You're also getting beaten up in terms of cost, because people are watching the cost, all these other factors. Engineering and safety said no launch. We do agree that we don't think that this is likely a problem, but the problem is we don't know what happened. So we want to do a study. We want to figure it out. It's not going to launch until it takes. So our system, in terms of the new governance framework we had after Columbia, the open environment of individuals being able to talk and communicate about concerns, it played out well. I was in the room. That was one of my proudest days. You basically had people in that room from safety, from engineering, from projects. You have young people who just started. You have folks who retired. Cool organization. You have people retired, not just from NASA, but from industry, from international partners. You know, people, with, and, and the leadership said, what do you think about it? You've seen things like this. What is the, and it all went, went around, and people had a discussion. It was open. There was a dialogue. They decided to wait. 
They, had a, they, they couldn't, it took several weeks to fix and put in a lot of thousands of hours. That's a lot of dollars. It was repaired. They, they came up with a new patent technology for unobtrusive testing on an engineering system. That was one of the issues that they, you always worried about. And so they came up with new innovations, new technologies, because they did it. They had the discussion. They had the dialogue. Same team, now a different manager. Because again, when things go wrong, manager's going to you know, get another opportunity someplace. Um, but same team, same people. They acted very differently. They acted differently because of what was being encouraged. Steve Altimus, wonderful chief engineer, friend. Uh, as a leader, it's my responsibility to create an environment of open ideas, diverse opinions. And so, yeah, we were at the Brooklyn uh, Nest facility, training facility yesterday. It was beautiful. One of the rooms, as someone said earlier, is disagree and commit. Got to be able to, in, in the business, it's not, it's not easy. There's going to be different perspectives. There's hundreds of different you know, fields that are working. There's this, you know, all that kind of stuff. Are they comfortable disagreeing? And if you're a person, and maybe you're young, you started off that and say, oh, those guys are experienced. They'll figure it out. You may have that expertise because a young professional is typically coming out in their 20s out of school. They have more education. They know more tools. They know more analytics than somebody who's been there like myself for 33 years. But if they're concerned about raising it, it, you see where that goes. So one of the issues of learning is how comfortable are we on mistakes, failure, talking about it. Organizations or teams. I've seen teams. Early, one of the first consulting things I did at NASA was with a financial organization. I was doing my little study, collecting data, doing interviews. Got to the senior leader, asked a simple closing question. It was a Friday, then I was getting ready to start a beautiful weekend. I said, so what do you see as some of the key problems over here? He told me, oh, we don't have any problems over here. You know, you know if someone tells you if they're in any relationship or any organization, they have no problems, you know you're entering the land of Stephen King and things will get ugly. We all got problems, so we got to address that. We got to be comfortable with it. How do teams innovate? This is the innovation part. So we talked about mission. We talked about failure. We talked about, now let me get into innovation. I think learning and innovation goes together. People in a project are very focused in terms of, again, the vision. They want to be successful. They want to have that Mars Curiosity ending. So they're focusing on being successful. That's their game. That's what it's about. Anything that doesn't make a clear sense that it's helping them will go. Now, they will come up with solutions to any problem, to any barrier. To, they'll come up with ways that will improve things. So if that team encourages the fact that they can get better and adapt, you got an organization that will learn that will get better. I've seen managers, I've seen teams where we've had where innovation and adaptability is not encouraged. You can't learn. Here's an example of a success. Cassini, cool mission. Again, you can Google this. You can go into our, to our website. There's case studies. You can use it if you teach and all that kind of stuff. Cassini mission was one of our uh, uh, rockets and satellites going up to Saturn. It was an international mission. We worked with the European Space Agency. NASA directly partnered with the Italian Space Agency. And uh, it was going to be a rocket that took about seven years to go from Earth to Saturn. Uh, the rocket itself would have an instrument that would circle Saturn to get scientific data in terms of the characteristics of the planet uh, and bring that information back. And it was going to deploy uh, a Huygens probe. It was a scientific probe, another project that would leave and go to the moon Titan and look for water. If there's water, there may be life, collect data. So a lot of stuff going on in terms of that. 
One of the challenges, not unusual, in a mission like this, we're working with 21 different countries. There are 18 different projects, 18 subsystems led by different project managers and project scientists from 18 different countries. One of the dangers when you do this is you have limited money, you have limited time, so when you run into problems, what happens is you cut certain things. How do you deal with that? Fortunately, this was at a, the Jet Propulsion Lab. Joggers, runners had a friend from Stanford Economics said, hey, when we have an issue of making decisions and the disperse, we'll use the web. We'll create a resource exchange on the internet and give the power to the team. So each of those 18 teams were able to basically say some of them needed funding, some of them needed weight, some of them needed data that was coming down in terms of capacity, and so they were able to use the electric uh, change system to make their own trade-offs. That goes against the traditional way a project manager would do. We typically raise project managers to be control freaks. I will make the decision for all of you. An individual usually cannot be as effective, right, as a team. In this case, every one of those 18 instruments flew. Tremendously successful mission. Led to a lot of positive international uh, reaction. And the team solved and learned together for what they did. Very unusual. That's an example of a high-functioning, innovative team. The leadership, the team took control. They established what they needed to do. And the larger organization you know, supported that. What is it that leads to then success? One of the questions I get typically from young folks is, OK, I see people here at uh, you know, what leads to being a successful career. Studied this a lot at NASA, uh, collected a lot of vignettes. I talk about the four A's. And I think, again, it'll fit into your world. So one of the things that has to happen is you have to have skill, ability in your field. And so if you're in procurement, if you're doing contracts, you've got to be good at contracts. If you're doing data analytics, you've got to be good at data analytics. If it's battery tech, you've got to be good at your field, and you have to stay there. You've got to keep learning. We'll get some people really good, they'll feel good, and then they stop. So that changes. Uh, assignments. For us, at the end of the day, it comes down to doing. We can test people. We can talk to people. We can do simulate. At the end of the day, you don't know how people are going to perform until they're actually performing. So our measures have to do with actual performance. One of the things we do very well is, in terms of selecting people, we like to do internships. Well, I came, again, from Columbia. That way, you can sniff each other. You can test things out. You see how people perform. If you like them, if you don't, I mean, and then you can turn it into a long-term relationship. It's kind of like what we do. How many of you are married? What did you do before you got married? Kind of sounds like a strange question. But you dated, right? You don't meet someone and say, hey, this is great. Let's get married and have five kids because, man, you may be really wrong, right? Uh, and so you get together. You spend time. And that's what we do. We do really that well. We'll bring people and we'll bring students. We'll bring people from a really, I have an intern right now who works uh, for the Department of Treasury. He's getting exposure. And uh, it's a good opportunity. Get the assignments. If people aren't getting different work experiences, I tell them, from a NASA standpoint, career-wise, you're, you're, you're probably minimizing yourself. You may be great at what you do, in, way, in which case you may have a manager who wants to hoard you, but that isn't helping you or probably the agency. We move people around. Alliances. Uh, there's nobody who has all the answers. Everything is multidisciplinary. You've got to be able to get on the phone. Our best project managers, leaders, and systems engineers are not the most brilliant ones. They are the ones who have the network. 
because at the end of the day, the problems you see, you're not going to recognize. You're going to get on the phone with your international partners, with industry, with your colleagues. The people who can find the answer from their network are the ones who lead our missions best. Alliances are vital. If I see someone and when we're interviewing or talking to, and it's all about them, they have all the answers, and you ask them about, well, what about uh, folks on the team, and they downplay that, that's a signal, that's a red signal. We got an issue there. And finally, attitude. This is the one that flames out careers or stops it. The attitude issue comes down to, can you work with other people? Again, 90% is industry, 80% is international, 100% is universities. If you have a reputation as someone who no one wants to work to, work with. You see where that goes. My boss gets a call from the head of the European Space Agency says, you know, so-and-so is you're really talented, but we can't stand working with them, get rid of them. That is a bad day. So you got to have the attitude of two things. You got to be able to work inclusively with people, and you have to respect people. That doesn't mean you, you have to, dis you can fight, you can argue, you can get, but you got to be able to demonstrate that. Otherwise, you shouldn't be putting together the team in terms of the way it's, it's, it's set up. So the final component is engagement. We talked about focus on the mission, be honest about failure, make sure that you have an environment where you can improve through innovation. What is engagement? To me, engagement started with my career. I, I told you I came from Brooklyn. I, got, I had no idea how I got into Columbia University. I'm a Brooklyn kid. I thought it was a mistake. Then I get to NASA, and I really think, wow, this world is really screwed up. I mean, they don't know. These people think I know. People from NASA saying, wow, you come from Columbia. And I'm, so my strategy early on was to stay very little. I believed in the model, if you didn't say anything, then people would assume you're smart. And there is, there is some merit for that. I, um, this was Hans Mark. Dr. Hans Mark, he's still alive. He was the NASA number two, the deputy administrator, 1983, when I first started. What Dr. Mark used to do is he used to have a party at the end of the year, Christmas party, holiday party in December. And he would have his leaders and executives from NASA attend, and he would have the students and the interns and the co-ops attend. About 30 of us get the, you know, get the invite. Had a friend from, from New York, Brian Marufi, who's coming up. It's Friday, we're young, we're single, we're 23. What do you want to do this weekend? I said, well, you know, let's go to Georgetown, let's do different kinds of stuff, go to a game. But we're invited to the NASA Deputy Administrator's party. And he says, I don't want to do that, that's stupid. We're going to be stuck around engineers. We're, you know. I said, no, no, you, you missed the point. These parties are going to have free wine, beer, and food. You know, I mean, that, that's the big, so we'll go over there, we'll fuel up, and then we'll head to Georgetown. That was, and I said, look, no one's going to care about us. We're, you know, all this kind of stuff. Get to the party, having a good time. I'm fueling up, drinking down, getting ready. <laughs> this, this is the truth. And uh, all of a sudden, Dr. Mark stands in the center of the room. Tall guy, like six foot five, like one of these Apollo kind of guys, Germanic accent, came from Austria. Basically says, I want to welcome all the students here. You are our future. We're thrilled to have you. I realized from looking over the list, we have 30 students. 29 of you are aerospace engineers, and I know why you're here. But one of you, one of you is a, it's a psychologist, and I have no idea why, why we have an organizational psychologist. Now, at this point, first time in my life, my, my throat constricts. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get rid of the wine and the food. I can't swallow. And I never experienced, I have a, a sense of heat throughout my whole body. 
uh, culminating in a sweat ball, you know, the back of my head going down, and I'm, I'm just heating up. I'm, I'm getting, all of a sudden, Dr. Mark says, so can you tell me who you are? So I raise my hand. Brian, my friend, steps back, says, good idea that no one's going to notice us, and walks away like a true friend. And uh, I said, I'm from Columbia University. I'm an organizational psychologist. He said, why, why do we need you? And I said, well, you know, I'm studying you know, how, how do teams work together and specifically leadership effectiveness. Hans says, well, I'm a leader. Now, now you know where this is going to go. He says, can you improve me? And everyone you know, is laughing. Again, I'm, I'm heating up. And I said, well, you know, I, I would talk to you. I would talk to your team. And from, uh, you know, I said, well, give me a tip. Help me improve. I said, well, tell me, give me an example of a leadership practice you use. He says, well, one of the things I like to do is I stay later than any of my managers. And at the end of the day, I'll write three or four Post-it notes, right, your little, your little stickies. And I'll go to each desk, and I'll put like three or four of them. So when they first come in, they see that. So he says, am I a good leader? I said, well, I'd have to speak to the team. And by, they're all doing down signs, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I said, well, why do you do that? He said, well, look, it gives them a clear goal. They know at the start that they're, they're moving. They know that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about what's happening. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I enjoy it. I think it's a way to communicate. So what I said is, well, it sounds like it's a way to communicate, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he says, oh, OK, thank you. And I'm dripping wet now. And, uh, Five minutes later, Dr. Mark comes up to me. He says, come, come with me. And now I'm figuring, OK, what's going to happen you know, now? So I go with him. He takes me to his, his personal office. And all these, there's these models in the room of things that fly and all this cool stuff. You know, it's like you know, in terms of the things that you look forward to you know, as a kid. And he says, you know, I know I gave you a hard time. And you know, I apologize. I didn't mean to do that. But truly, I just didn't know why we had you. He said, but you handled that really well. You know, I tested you. You handled that really well. And you're right, we do need to, we're, it's all about the team and we need leadership. And again, I have no idea what you're going to do, but good luck with your career and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I saw him like 24 years later. I'm sure he didn't recognize me. And he says, yeah, you're, it's all about teams and leaderships. You're right, as it turns out. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is engagement, though. You know, they don't, you know, sometimes people think about you got to have a million dollars to do something. But he did the right thing. He basically said I mattered. I went to that as a party for free stuff. I was sure no one's going to care. I'm a psychology guy surrounded by engineers. He basically said he cared. He asked a powerful question, why? I knew from that day, from every day, wherever I, I got to be able to answer, why am I a chief knowledge officer? And the other thing is he came up afterwards and gave the encouragement to keep moving forward. That's engagement. That's a party. That's coming together. And that has to do with all these things that we're coming to. What creates a learning environment? I always tell our leaders, it doesn't have to come down to money. Are our managers engaged? Are we talking to each other? Do people know why? When I hear a project manager say to me, I don't have time to talk about my people, to my people, I said, then we got a big problem, because that's your job. And if they're not seeing that, they may smile, but they're not getting it. How do we deal with failure and mistakes? Is it OK? Do we talk about it? Do we improve? Do we innovate? How do we build the community and watch the story we have?